saying hello again to State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy for our weekly Tacky Talks. How are you, Tacky? Hey, Joe. Uh, very good. Uh, on Today uh, is Wednesday and uh, feeling much better after a marathon weekend. Yeah, we thought, uh, you know, you might be uh, on, on vacation at this time, but, uh, <laughs> but, but not so lucky, right? Well, it's never truly quite a vacation. I mean, we do used to have informers every, every 72 hours, and I have a committee that continue to get bills, especially alcohol local uh, requests to go above the alcohol quotas. So you know, the staff is now processing the latest set of bills. We're trying to organize a hearing for the 22nd of this month uh, regarding a Boston liquor license request. And uh, given nature as a consumer committee, we're, we're going to still probably have hearings into the fall. We're going to pile them up. It's not like we when we did the uh, uh, 2021 uh, into 2022 hearings where, you know, we have a whole lot. We're going to try to put, you know, four or five bills into a single place before we uh, have a hearing just for efficiency. But on the joint rule 10, we only have 30 day turnaround from the day the bill hits my committee. So I have to have a hearing and I have to have a report within 30 days. Um, certain instances, there's some rule procedures. Let me kind of work around that 30 days, but it requires a bit of a, um, how do I put this, um, procedural uh, leapfrogging uh, to make it work. Uh, you can get stuff done. You just have to kind of know how to use the rules properly. Okay. But it's, I mean, currently you're in informal session now. Is that right? That is right. Informal session. I plan to uh, start moving some of my technical bills uh, after Labor Day, as you all heard many times from me over and over again. Uh, I'm not a committee that has really big, exciting pieces. It's really a lot of small, uh, relevant licensing issues and uh, updates to uh, certain laws because we're in the 21st century, right? So you know, we're doing a lot of that stuff, and hopefully I can move uh, off the plate um, this fall after Labor Day, you know, these little pieces every other week. But, you know, from the committee standpoint, when the, the plate is cleared out, I mean, other than, I believe, three bills that are sitting in a Senate uh, approval process for an extension order, uh, the committee has dispensed with just about everything. Okay, very good. So we'll have to catch up uh, with you uh, throughout this month and see how those see how those bills go. But in the meantime, I thought uh, today we could talk about uh, the one that's making the most uh, headlines is the Economic Development Bill. Yeah. Uh, what do you think uh, all of us were doing at the state house this past week, trying to get a tab on where we are on this economic development piece and uh, the surprise by uh, all of us regarding chapter 60, I'm sorry, chapter tw- uh, 62, chapter 62F of the general laws, which you're all seeing over and over again in the uh, newspapers uh, for pretty much the last two weeks. And uh, I don't share revenue. I don't share ways and means. And I've been around a lot of years at this point, between when the state house was staffing and then obviously elected. And I, I won't lie, I've never heard of Chapter 62F. And again, I'm not a uh, revenue chair, no ways means chair. I, I do remember a lot of things happening, but uh, this one's new for me. Yeah, it goes back to, let's say, 1986. And essentially says that about 7% of folks 2021 income taxes would be returned uh, based on the state surplus, which is estimated to be about $3 billion, still pending a formal numbers from the auditor's office. Yeah, I've been using uh, the Mass uh, Taxpayers Alliance's numbers, uh, oh, sorry, Mass Taxpayer Foundation's numbers to try to figure what it is. So the M. 
um, MTF guys have done the preliminary analysis and they released one last week. There'll probably be an update once you get to the end of the month. They're uh, pretty much a business paid for not-for-profit does independent analysis. Um, they tend to be more conservative numbers at uh, this organization, but in terms of their legal um, analysis and stuff like that, it's actually pretty good for an outside organization. So uh, we do read and I do read stuff that comes in from third parties that isn't the state um, to give me some outsider point of view. So uh, the what you're describing is a $3 billion in tax credits. So let's see if I can describe how this works again, because we talked about this before. The 1986 law approved by the voters puts a cap on how much revenue the state can collect in taxes in relationship to the last three years wages and salaries of the public. So you take all the wages and salaries from the past three years that everyone's earned money on and take the average of that. And if state total tax collection, when I mean total tax collection, I mean everything, including things like the meals tax, sales tax, uh, capital gains tax, uh, excise taxes, I mean, all of it uh, exceeds the total wages collected on average, I mean, total wages earned by the public, then the difference between the two is returned to the taxpayers, specifically taxpayers, uh, in the form of credits. And why do we say taxpayers? Because the return uh, to you of credits is directly proportional to how much taxes you pay. So, Bottom line is that if you make a lot of money, you pay more taxes. You're going to do very well in this proposal. If you're a more middle-income family or low-income working family, this does not help you as much. Uh, because again, it's a credits returned to you based on proportion of the taxes paid. And you have to apply for this. Just oh, like this, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, it's just like the senior circuit tax breaker mm -hmm. that we talked about many times now. You actually have to fill the form out to see if you qualify and you get the money. Well, the reason I know this is because back in 87 was the last time it was triggered for about 30-ish million dollars. Only about, I think, 17 million of it was actually collected by the public or the taxpayers, more accurately. So if you're a taxpayer, you only collected about you know, 17 million or 30 million dollars back in 87. So that means you have to take the affirmative action to apply, you know, apply for this tax credit as part of your tax form. Now, how do we do this? No clue. Oh. Uh, the Department of Revenue is going to have to figure this one out uh, on uh, there's a part of your 2020 tax form next year. Is it a new form you get this fall? I couldn't tell you. Um, so we'll wait and see how the Department of Revenue figures it out. So as you heard, the rough estimates, just about $3 billion, like not $2.96 whatever billion dollars, right? $3 billion for, for easy math. And uh, so what's what's the crisis, right? So the rough estimate according to Mass Taxpayer Foundation is about $7 billion in surplus funds. But it's not really $7 million because we have to pay uh, some of that, for example, to the MBTA because we have increased sales tax, the MBTA gets paid on sales tax by statute. You know, so we, you know, pay, same thing as school building assistance, that's paid out of sales tax by statute. So anytime we collect more sales tax, you know, beyond the estimate, you know, the actual actually has to go to dedicated amounts. You know, people forget we pay tax refunds every year. That comes out of the surplus too. So, you know, we have to hold back surplus on an estimated number of re, uh, refunds to people, right? And, uh, you know, obviously have a lot of industries, uh, 35 some odd tax, cre uh, tax credits that we implement in the state. That's also factor in. We paid the Holyoke Soldier Home Settlement. Uh, for people don't realize the uh, families of the 
of the loved ones who died at the Holy Soldier Home tragedy uh, sued the state and received a settlement. And it's not the only settlement. We have plenty of settlements that's factored into our budgetary process. And uh, surplus is great on uh, dealing with those uh, settlements. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, COVID-related uh, relief. So, I mean, during this whole year, anytime a COVID issue came up, you know, we've been doing, you know, incremental amounts of money to cover those COVID costs to, you know, to do that. So, you know, they, they uh, mass taxpayer says from the $7 billion rough estimate, they think about 4.7 bins remaining of that rough estimate um, that's not been, that's remaining. Uh, and of that estimate, you know, take away $3 billion, that leaves you like a billion seven. So it sounds like a ton of money, but it really isn't at the end. And the reasons because of our proposals, economic development bill. But um, it is a state law. Um, so why not abide by that law? We are by not doing anything. <laughs> that's the that's the irony, right? You do nothing, the law is going to happen. So the four point seven billion dollar remaining, roughly uh, three billion of that, as you point out, is going to go in credits. Um, and we don't know how it's going to get to you, but it's going to get to you. And unless the House Senate, the governor agrees to suspend the law, which is not going to happen at this point, I'm going to tell you, uh, you'll be seeing your tax credits at some point in the future. And like I said, if you make a lot more money, you pay more taxes, you're going to make up really well. And for those of us who are more middle class and low income, you won't. So and this is this in addition to the actual cash rebate that was also included in this bill? Well, that's been tabled now. This is part of the dilemma we're now facing is that the cash rebates would cost the state about 500 plus-ish million dollars, well, five, five, 10, five, you know, give or take. I mean, it's always kind of a rough number until the Department of Revenue gives us that, but we're looking over $500 million in that. Uh, and also, we also have those uh, four very important uh, tax proposals that I really do support, which is increasing run to deduction, increasing the child care deduction, uh, reforming the estate tax, as well as increasing the earned income tax credit. Uh, those four proposals would cost us over $500 million annually. So the plan, of course, no surprise folks, was to use the surplus <laughs> to cover that. But as I pointed out earlier, what $7 billion became $4.7 billion, now is $1.7 billion. So what seemed like you're a flush of cash is how rapidly is no longer the case. Uh, because of Chapter 62F. Um, and then we have remaining proposals, uh, which include, you know, assisting hospitals because COVID's cost them a 5% decline in revenue. This has become a crisis situation. Their fiscal year matches the fiscal year, September 30th. Uh, you know, we do affordable housing. We do assistance in hotels. We try to uh, increase our money one time to promote tourism. And these are all one-time costs. These are not reoccurring in, in future budgets because, again, surplus money is one-time cost. It's not like it's going to happen again. And we're not expecting this to ever happen again. And uh, to implement, uh, to initiate chapter uh, 62F, literally everything has to coincide perfectly. Uh, it's basically hitting the lottery uh, to, to make that happen. The go governor, as you're aware, says uh, the state can afford both. It can do the 62F plus the rebates and the tax cuts. Well, it also creates our margin of error as we go into the, into the winter time, right? Things are very unpredictable. And uh, we'd like to have some space, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, going into the new year, uh, just in case there's a shortfall. As we pointed out already, capital gains has been nosediving for those of us who have 401ks and 457s and 403bs. And those who have uh, you know, your own private portfolio, we all know you're getting 
crashed on right now, right? And real estate markets slow down. Uh, and we do expect consumer spending to slow down at some point because of hyperinflation. I mean, everyone's tightening their belt, including myself. I mean, I've, as you guys have all figured out, I like to clip my coupons electronically and uh, try to figure out the best deals. And of course, you know, sales tax week weekend's coming up. And I do expect a massive amount of spending uh, on August 13th and 14th. And that's lost revenue on uh, state income, uh, state uh, sales tax. And, uh, you know, we bake that into the budget, but when you have a surplus, it makes it much easier to use a surplus to pay for those losses uh, caused by losing sales tax th that weekend. And like I said, I, I think people are going to really take advantage of this weekend given the inflationary cost. So mm -hmm. there's going to be a number of places where we would like to have a little bit, a bit of a buffer uh, and surplus funds to cover, you know, unexpected cost increases. Uh, the state is suffering from inflation, just like you. Uh, energy costs are up. Our supply costs are up. Uh, and, uh, you know, get doing the business with the government isn't getting any cheaper either. So, yeah, the governor is correct. If you like the fact you have absolutely no space for unexpected consequences in terms of like who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, right? So could we do that? Sure, we could spend a billion dollars on the rebates plus the tax breaks to cover this year's worth of tax breaks. And then, uh, you know, have like maybe $70 remaining. Sure, maybe, you know, the hospitals are looking for $300-ish million dollars. You know, we're talking about big bucks here to help these industries out. I mean, the hotels are looking at about $50, 50 million. It, it rapidly adds up. Uh, affordable housing, I believe, is another 200. I mean, it's gone in a blink. Gone in a blink. So, you know, the, the House and Senate would have to decide on massive reduction of their uh, spending proposals, which is very hard because the House and Senate do not have concurring proposals. Um, I know that people, you know, expect, capital projects be paid from this, that will be happening as well. And, uh, and another thing no one's talked about in the press that you have to be aware of is the ARPA money cannot be used to fill in a tax revenue loss caused by us, like we created it. So chapter 62F creates a $3 billion shortfall in, in some ways. It's not really a shortfall, it's eating, to the, it's eating into the surplus. So it's not really a shortfall in that sense. So ARPA money doesn't really apply to that. And our four tax proposals creates a, a, a revenue decline is also in a long-term debt revenue decline. Well, that's initiated by the legislature. So that, again, ARPA money can't be used to fill that amount. Um, and ARPA's COVID-related costs, mostly, it's a little confusing on certain parts of it, but I mean, we've been committed that to um, COVID-related. So um, it's not like it can swap $1 for another. It, it can't do that under federal law. So is this something that could be um, approved in an informal session or does the legislature have to come back to formal session to approve this? I think it's entirely possible to do this in, in informal session. You know, informal session, if one person object, a bill stops and a session closes uh, for that session day. Um, you know, I would mind seeing uh, perhaps uh, at least get help for the hospitals at minimum. Uh, to get them through the fiscal cycle. It is a big chunk of change, I do understand, but you know, social hospital, mills and hospitals around us, and they're not partners healthcare. They don't have alternative revenues to draw on. And uh, COVID does not cover, the federal COVID funds does not cover 100% of their costs. It's like, it's like, here's X dollars for your person, but it doesn't matter where you are. Uh, you know, uh, if you have like extra, God forbid you have a patient that needs a lot more assistance to turn medication, you only got a fixed dollar-ish per person. So it's not like you're getting extra money. So, I mean, this is part of the, the hospital crisis right now is that, you know, 
things they charge normally insurance companies for to do other procedures, well, they've been all delayed. Uh, and I think many people here have had delayed doctor's visits, delayed visits to oncology, delayed uh, routine procedures, delayed routine checkups, like colonoscopies and things like that, or routine checkups because you're backed up for like a solid year on the schedule. Um, so, uh, you know, this, this is, you know, this is a bit of a crisis for uh, Massachusetts hospitals. Um, so I wouldn't mind seeing at least getting that done. Um, whether or not we can push out the tax-related proposals, including rebates and new taxes, now become a real question mark. Okay. What, what else is tied up in that bill, Tacky? Is that also, um, is climate change part of that bill as well? Yeah, it has a few climate change components to try to help, you know, you know, improve buildings and encourage local development. But most importantly, again, we're continuing to invest money to windmill development, like direct cash into promoting workforce industry changes. And uh, same thing we did on the wind, uh, wind and climate change bill, you know, purchasing more big wind. You know, there are also tax credits, not direct cash assistance, but, you know, tax credits to encourage more direct uh, industries you know, related to um, wind building. Uh, windmills are going to be built for many years to come because it takes a long time to get that many windmills up. And that means Massachusetts jobs. And the speaker has very much committed. And you also saw President Biden come by a few weeks back, you know, very much committed to, uh, you know, invest in this. And, you know, it is our future. Uh, this is our next biotech. This is our, you know, next, you know, uh, electronic computer industry stuff. I mean, you know, this is where the future lies. So, you know, we're taking a long-term investment by putting the money in now. One thing that did get approved was um, sports betting or legalized sports betting. <laughs> <laughs> That's the key word, legalized sports yeah. betting. I don't have to explain that one, folks. If I have to, we got problems, right? Uh, yeah, the bookies are not happy now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure your uh, office pools as we uh, go into next March may not be nearly as... Uh, engaged uh That's right. bragging rights i suppose um yeah i mean people have been talking about this for several years now we couldn't get across the line the prior session again uh speaker ha- did not make uh anything hidden about his prioritization for sports betting uh, as you saw in the news uh that there was a uh a rift between the house and senate regarding collegian sports um let's be honest folks collegian sports is a big part of sports betting there's a lot of collegiate sports. So the Senate didn't want to do any collegiate sports. The compromise we have is you can't bet on Massachusetts uh, college and universities, but you can bet on bet on them if they make a tournament. Right. Yeah. March Madness yeah. is the most uh, obvious one, I guess. Yeah. The bowl games, March Madness, the Frozen Four. Yeah. Uh, you know, Massachusetts is a big hockey town. You know, people tend to forget that sometimes. And uh, yeah, people do bet on hockey. Just, just saying. So, uh, you know, unless you're in a tournament, no. So if you're going to look at, you know, bet on the bean pot, no. Right, uh, yeah. It's, 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 a, it's not a tournament uh, game. So, you know, hopefully the governor will sign this into law, uh, legalizing sports betting. It's, it's long overdue. The Mass Gaming Commission will oversee it. And uh, the three major gaming facilities in Plainville, uh, Springfield, and Everett you know, already primed for sports betting. And then you also have mobile sports betting as well, but there's only so uh, many licenses available for sports betting. So there'd be a massive dash by uh, various uh, online sports getting companies to try to get uh, get one of the few licenses available. 
Yeah. Um, so the revenue estimate is anywhere from like 70 to 80 million. And what would that go towards Tacky? Um, uh, 45% of it goes to uh, general fund. I think, oh God, this is what happens when you do things late at night. Uh, I think 15% goes to local aid. As you guys can tell, I'm not exactly sure. Okay, uh, all right. Exactly where it goes. I think a portion goes to uh, 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 gambling assistance. Okay. Um, I'm trying to remember where the last portion went. Yeah, I don't know either. That's why I asked. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, this is what happens uh, when you're uh, when you do these long nights. Hang on, hang on. We're going to cheat. We're going to cheat. I'm at my computer. We're going to see if I can cheat here. Oh, it's uh, not cheating when you're looking up accurate information. That's what we're all about here. Is yeah, let, let's see if I can uh, uh, find uh, find uh, uh, something I can look at here. Probably uh, something for public health, I would guess, or workforce development, or maybe education. Yeah, I think it's an education component. Or okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. As you guys are now looking at me, try to use this this <laughs> um, this uh, what do you call it? Um, this uh, touchpad thing, which still not used to using. Um, One thing that stood out to me was the $5 million fee to apply for a sports betting license. <laughs> well, to be frank with you, I mean, we're talking about companies that don't have a ton of overhead. You, the, 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 the casinos have already, um, already have the infrastructure in place to do sports betting. And if you're online sports betting, I mean, it's coming off your app and computer. I mean, how much, um, exactly how much do you need in terms of infrastructure support, right? So that's kind of a big part of it. Um, so, I mean, if you're, uh, uh, have low infrastructure, I mean, why, why, we, why do we want to like, you know, let you just get even more money? I mean, it, that's, that's the thing. So I don't feel that bad about it, as you can tell. Um, and I think the revenue estimates for the state is, is going to be very generous the longer it goes. Um, and, uh, you know, these businesses are completely online, you know, margins can be very healthy for them. So, all right, oh, yeah, here we go. I got okay. it. I got it in front of me. So 17.5% will go to the development achievement fund and 1%, uh, uh yeah. And 1%, uh, from the uh, taxes license fees. The rest of the funds go to existing gaming local aid funds, so 27.5%. Well, I was way off there. 27.5% goes to local aid, to cities and towns. 9% goes to public health. 45% goes to the um, general fund. So this, this uh, youth development achievement fund and workforce investment funds uh, would be uh, targeted towards a workforce opportunity for low-income and vulnerable youth to promote employment, including state employment, as well as private employment. And there's a youth development achievement fund to provide financial assistance for people who are uh, trying to get to higher education. So uh, you're, you know, there's a target money of 17.5% uh, for um, uh, youth development, and uh, one percent of the funds would go to, um, you know, scholarship programs or financial assistance. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, this is going to be very substantial uh, for, you know, many of us that that are. Uh, but receive a benefit from this. Yeah, and I didn't hear a lot of complaining uh, about the application fee. So I, I think, um, you know, these casinos and apps are pretty confident they're going to make a profit on this. I promise you, I got zero meetings from any sports betting entity complaining about the fees. 
There you go. <laughs> that the silence speaks volumes. <laughs> well, they're very clear which money they're going to make in the long run, and this is not a sh- you know short term investment from their standpoint. We're talking about a decade and even more of recouping their costs for the fees, and maybe they may be able to get it back inside of less than three years. Right. So the right. business, when you look at licensing, you know, looking at the tax impacts and everything else. They know they're going to make money, but you know they don't think about it as a one-year return. They're looking at like three, five, ten-year returns. Right, and it's already been legal in I think New Hampshire or Rhode Island for several years already. So they're anticipating uh, keeping that here, in Massachusetts. I'm sure. Well, as I remind folks, back in my days when I actually did research this, you know, some twenty odd years ago, uh, the industry, uh, gaming industry, uh, does track uh, how many people go to different places via airplane flights in general mm. terms. You know, one, so, and I hate to tell you all, uh, one of the biggest uh, places to get flights uh, to Vegas is from Boston. Hmm. Interesting. Not not surprising, but interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And they do look at our lottery numbers and the lottery numbers tell a lot. I mean, we're the oh, highest yeah. per capita by far and none uh, oh, yeah. on lottery plays. So, I think, wasn't it one of the first state lotteries in the nation? Yep. Back in yeah. uh, 1972, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so, so 50 years ago, yeah. 50 years ago, I think we're the 50 years of the lottery now. So, um, yeah, I mean, they just look at our lottery numbers and realize, holy, you know, you guys like to bet. Oh, speaking of, um, where's online lottery uh, stand or does it? Well, it was part of the economic development bill, which is no, oh. long, no longer with us. Oh, all right, okay. As far as I can tell thus far. And there's a lot of initiatives that were part of the economic development bill ranging, you know, again, on, on the backside, it's not cash. You know, everything from fair housing to high lottery to transportation issues to climate change issues. There was a lot of stuff packed into this. Happy hour. I think happy hour was in there too. Local local approval happy hour was in there as well. So not to say all those issues would have survived the conference committee, but the conference committee had to get past hurdle one is how to pay for this. Right. And uh, if you combine the Senate and House proposals, all that money together, because you know nobody wants to give up what they want. Right. Uh, you know, this is how it works, guys. You don't want to give what you want, but you got to compromise to get there. Um, you know, if they couldn't figure out how to pay for it, then you know, the rest of the information becomes a really non-starter. Right, right, right. Seem yeah, the economic development portion of it seems to be the most important. Yeah, yeah. There is a portion that's bonded as well, but that's for you know a lot of state-related capital projects. But okay. again, we also got the judicial bond bill that came out. We also have the the eleven billion dollar, eleven point eight billion dollars actually uh, transportation infrastructure bond bill that matches the federal funds. You know, so I mean, yeah, there's some you know, important urgency regarding uh, infrastructure development for private sector in terms of, you know, a lot of roads, bridges, utilities, you know, broadband, all that stuff. But yeah. you know, we do have other um, bond bills that are out there that uh, won't address exactly what economic development does, but you know, will be put to good use as part of the, the larger uh, state infrastructure. Yeah. Speaking of transportation, Tacky, since we last talked, the, the T's is having even more issues. <laughs> Yeah, it's about 12.33 uh, as we're talking, and uh, I was running around errands this morning because I was kind of wiped out and lost a week on running errands. So uh, the governor's uh, reported to shut down the Orange Line for 30 days for massive infrastructure improvements. We've seen the runaway cars. We've seen uh, battery fires on, on these red line trains. Uh, th- this is an unmitigated disaster at this point. Um, for better force, we are in the summer months. So, you know, people are taking time off, but that doesn't make it much better either. And uh, the other thing that kind of helps a little is the uh, the kids are out of school. 
in August. Right? College towns, college parts of the state is uh, is a little quieter. I mean, I know people are here through the summer to go to school here, but you know, it's a little bit quieter. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I've been at the state house more often, and tourism is not as vigorous as it was. I mean, there's people here, which is nice to see, but the MBTA is heavily ridden during the daylight hours by tourists yeah. inside the Boston area, and. Uh, you know, thankfully, you know, or unthankfully, depending on how you want to look at it, I mean, it's still far, far, far from 2019 levels uh, on tourists. You can tell by walking the street. I mean, you go downtown uh, at the Boston Common, just kind of walk around. You, you can see uh, the lack of people. It's, it's very obvious if, if you work in and live in the area. So, I mean, does MBTA funding as part of the uh, infrastructure bill, uh, transportation infrastructure bill, um, and, uh, you know, we're hoping that, the, well, it's going to be the next administration, most likely. I mean, it's not going to be Governor Baker, but they're going to make good use of that money to, to address the T issues. Um, and it goes back to the fact that there's not enough people working there. I mean, I, I'm aware that there's a huge postings now for a lot of jobs. And, you know, I'm not going to lay blame, but I mean, you know, one of the most common ways in the private sector on saving money is to cut workers mm-hmm. or force them into retirement. Uh, the MBTA is, in many ways, is being run just like a private business. And uh, now you've seen the consequences of that uh, really up and close in the central service. Um, you probably have felt this in private sector areas, but never really thought about it as hard. Uh, the MBTA puts it right in front and center in your face uh, when you do that level of employee reduction. Uh, and, you know, the governor is correct. You know, they spent billions of dollars in infrastructure, but you still need people to run the system. Right. Yeah. And in more more of the, I guess, everyday uh, frontline workers rather than the upper level management workers. Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, you guys are probably not surprised to hear this out of my mouth, but, you know, the, the more uh, trickle information out of the tea, you know, people like to talk. Uh, upper management is, is has been very top heavy through Deval Patrick and into the Baker administrations. Uh, and uh, they also have no transportation experience. Like none. Um, so you have people running a transit system that has no experience running transit, especially in a management level. And they right. think it's smarter than people working. And as a result, you know, the workers do what they're told. And well, well, that's what you got today. So, I mean, people love to beat up on the union. People love to beat up on, on the people on the ground. But uh, somebody's got to tell what the people on the ground to do. And that's called management. Right. Yeah. It's going to be um, many uh, decades, I think, going forward and before. It's a world-class system, at least. Oh, it was uh, it was never a world-class system. I mean, it was a world-class system 110 years ago when it was the That's only right. system. That's right. <laughs> I, I'm sorry to say that, folks, but it was only world-class, but it was the only one in the country. Uh, you know, the 110-year-old system is the oldest one, in the United, oldest one in the United States. It's the second oldest one on the planet. Most of the public transit you all see that's not New York, it's not London, it's not Boston. You know, we're built closer within the last 50 years. And uh, New York has a relatively interesting system because they have dual tracks, meaning they can take a, a train uh, uh, onto a dual track if it breaks down, or they can take an entire other track apart from maintenance. Uh, and the uh, the other car would, uh, a train would use the other track. Uh, Massachusetts not run a dual track system. And uh, if you guys... Uh, look out the window, you can see why they ain't a lot of space. Right. Yeah. It sounds like they need uh, some uh, experience from some of these newer systems, uh, maybe in other parts of the world to bring it here. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, not surprising. Some uh, some places uh, does actually outsource their uh, management and operations, essentially privatization. So um, it's been a long time now because of COVID. My last conversation with Hong Kong government, they were actually outsourcing their uh, privately financed uh, public private public private finance uh, public transit system, um, the MTR. And uh, it's public-private because uh, while it is a, a privately one entity, the revenues are set by the government, much like how we do utility companies. Um, you know, you have to go back and justify your costs. Japan, you know, also I found out uh, has a privately run system, but also it's government mandated and also government control regarding its uh, rates, or, you know, mm-hmm. the fares and revenues. On the flip side in Japan, they didn't actually pick one company. In Tokyo, they pick four. Oh. And just and yeah, the four systems don't talk to each other. So you're stuck with four different pass systems. I learned that when I got there trying to get from place to place on my on my Japanese uh, junket back in uh 2000, uh, what was it, 16 now? It's been like everything's like forever ago. And uh, we tried to use the train system. It was like, oh, this this fare doesn't work here. This passes. No, you have to get a different one. I'm like, what? But I just walked across from the other station. Just <laughs> like changed, you just changed space. companies. You didn't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like in the same space. I was like, what do you mean? I have to get another. There's not even a transfer. It's just literally how to buy another company's fare system. I was like really surprised. Yeah, other than that, things are really efficient. <laughs> other than that, you could have to pay for anything. The trades themselves were really efficient. Um, but it's also true. I mean, also a different cultural regarding uh, train systems and also the fact that it is true. They do cram as many people as they can into a train. I mean, it's. I've seen the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's not false. They, they put a lot of people in a train. <laughs> I want to talk uh, world affairs for a little bit, Jackie. Uh, Nancy Pelosi did it. She went to Taiwan. Yeah, I kind of expect that she would. I mean, I think the Chinese and the U.S. media is making a whole lot about nothing, to be honest with you. I mean, Newt Gingrich was the last one went over, I believe, in 96. You know, China's response was sail some ships through the strait. Clinton responded by sailing an aircraft carrier through the strait. Uh, I fully expect uh, that the Chinese government will fly some planes within the strait and maybe send some warships through. I fully expect President Biden's going to send some planes and fly through the strait and send some warships through. Uh, this is not an uncommon event. They do the same thing uh, between Japan and China and uh, Korea and Japan and Korea and China, as well as between the Philippines and China. I mean, U.S. warships always just kind of patrol the area um, because, again, 40 percent of all shipping comes through those regions. So, I mean, you know, it's a major economic uh, interest for the U.S. to maintain stability in that area, which China, uh, through its uh, fabricated islands, trying to change its uh, international waters through these manufactured islands, you know, creates some instability uh, in the region, not just for the U.S., uh, it creates instability for everybody else that lives there. I think we get so U.S.-oriented, we kind of forget the impact on people that, you know, have to look at these things every day right. uh, and uh, think about how it impacts their ability to fish. Um put out recreational, you know, cruise ships-ish type stuff, uh, their ability to uh, move their own cargo through the area, international waters. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, things the U.S. there that you know, impacts local folks that, frankly, you know, cannot have an aircraft carrier. I mean, it's not like going to see the Philippines of an aircraft carrier, like, you know, a modern U.S. aircraft carrier. Um, and China just, you know, finished and put out to see their latest aircraft carrier, which is, you know, the newest, greatest, most modern thing at the moment. Um, but I mean, reality doesn't mean anything in the bigger scheme. Yeah, it's good for news headlines, but 
you know, she's technically the most third uh, powerful person in our government because of the secession order of president, vice president, speaker of the house, and you know, the speaker pro tem, or the longest serving, uh, I'm sorry, Senate president, uh, longest serving senator. I believe it's uh, president, vice president, speaker, and I think it's the longest serving senator. And then, you know, you move through the secession chain by stature from there. So from an optics standpoint, if you know nothing about U.S. government, and you got propaganda this, you know, you brought the third highest ranking official in this in the US. Right. We all know, you know, we live here. We all know, yeah, the secession plan. The last time does anyone got it was Gerald Ford. And that was a whole bunch of very unusual circumstances to get to Gerald Ford. Um, so as a result, you know, it's it's a whole lot of news and a blow over in a week or so, and you know, a lot of you know, serious consequences. No, I mean that's become like if anyone knows the international affairs, serious consequences continue to be the regular term for everyone, but no one knows what you're talking about. Yeah, I think there was some kind of a cyber attack on Taiwan that they connected back to the Chinese government. Yeah, I haven't got a Taiwan government visit since 2014. And back then, cyber attacks was a huge priority regarding uh, the Chinese, just like the U.S. versus both the Chinese, Russians and other terrorist elements. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been doing cyber tech protections. They've been doing uh, a lot more monitoring regarding uh, false news, especially as it impacts the Taiwanese elections. Big surprise, people. A foreign government influencing a democratic election somewhere else. It's not uniquely just our problem. Right. Uh, so, I mean, that's a big issue for them. They try to, you know, keep um, out foreign influences, particularly through the newsprint, through the television, and especially through the internet. And since uh, no country has as much First Amendment right protections as we do, uh, it is easier in many ways for them to, for lack of a term, censor uh, uh, people out uh, into, if they feel that they are a foreign, um, if they're actually a foreign threat. Yeah. Surprisingly, uh, Russia hasn't said a whole lot about Pelosi's visit at all. Of course not. They got a little problem of their own. Uh, And uh, this idea of the Chinese-Russian alliance, I think it's more of an arrangement than an alliance. Yeah. It's a a convenient situation for both of them when the convenience ends, so does that. So it's not like the U.S. and so, you know, I I hate to use Western world because, I mean, I know it's Western Europe and the U.S. and Canada. But I mean, it's it's more than that. Obviously, it's the Eastern um, Pacific Rim nations of Korea down to you know to Australia. People forget Australia is technically part of the Pacific. Um, you know, that's you know part of our U.S. Um, alliance and agreements on a, on a global level. So, um, you know, it's it, we do have arrangements. I suspect of countries, but you know, very few countries have as many uh, true alliances and you know, very long-term and, and quite frankly, binding trade agreements across the planet. Right. Well, let's bring it back home for a little bit and talk about, uh, well, we're in August now, so the August Moon Festival is coming up soon. Oh, absolutely. August Moon Festival is coming up. It's it's very exciting to do a full-scale event. Last year was a bit trimmed back. Uh, short notice uh, really was impact because of the opening of the uh, re- well, reopening of everything um, in 2021. So, I mean, this time it, it's going to be full scale back in front of Quincy High School on uh, the 21st. I'll be there with my fans and Ice Pops. And, uh, you know, we'll might have some other fun events uh, regarding me and helping out the organization, which I won't talk about right now because I have no confirmation about what this is. Uh, but okay. uh, well, uh, maybe next time out, you can come to the 21st and see what they do to me. Um, <laughs> but I mean, there's... But uh, up in Lowell, they have the Southeast Water Festival, which is uh, one of the major events. That's a 50,000 person event historically over the course of a, of a day. Um, and 
you know, Chinatown will have their August Moon Festival for the first time proper in well over two years. So, yeah. you know, the, the summer events are coming back online a uh, little bit at a time. Um, and I'm sure, you know, you're all going to be enjoying the beach or traveling someplace or, you know, having friends and family over barbecues more often. And, and, uh, and of course, like my nephew, my, my brother's and uh, his wife's going to be driving him to college. Mm. Yeah. It's a lot of that going to be happening very soon. Yep. Yep. Sales tax weekends can be a big deal as people start to load up in their supplies for, for college and uh, looking for good deals on, uh, especially uh, electronic goods. I think I talked about this before, but over inventory stock. Uh, with um, REITs, big retailers. So I think you might be seeing um, maybe some really good deals as we close in on sales tax weekend. I think so. If you were in the market, yeah, for uh, electronics or appliances, uh, furniture, maybe this might be the time. Yeah, you know, I actually do. I mean, I think clothing might be a little trickier because it's seasonal. And uh, given the change of wear because of uh, COVID and working from home, uh, you know, and uh, people making things last a little longer. Clothes is one of the things you can kind of extend out the life um, compared to other products. Um, you know, there might be a challenge regarding moving clothing. And uh, you may not find uh, what you want right away because they're not buying, you know, four months in advance. That's very risky for retailers right now. Right, exactly, because they could get shot, caught short. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's, it's, again, inflation is all through the board. It isn't like one specific sector. Well, uh, folks, uh, I'll still be get a hold of you, Tacky, even in the summertime. Yeah, my email is a little bit quieter, thank God, at this point. <laughs> the Lord of mercy, it's tiresome. But yeah, tacky.chan at mahouse.gov, tacky.chan at mahouse.gov. You can find me there. Of course, you can call the office at 617-722-2370, 617-722-2370. We do have people in the office. Uh, and of course, uh, the representative Tacky Chan Facebook page, you know, we've been putting up use information. Uh, the latest thing we did was the Highland uh, Street uh, Foundation's uh, uh, free cultural event days throughout the month of August. If you're looking for um, something affordable for the family, please check their calendar. I think it's wonderful. They, they create this opportunity for folks. Uh, there's an example of one thing and, um, you know, tachychain.org, but you also have emulegislature.gov. If you're looking for your bill to see what happened, it might be quicker to, to use the website than call my office, to be honest. Um, and of course, everyone knows, I mean, at this stage, I do look at your stuff. I do look at every email that comes through, the form emails, the personal emails, I do read them and we do prioritize based on people's um, needs in terms of direct constituent services first. Um, and some stuff, you know, we're waiting to see what happens with the governor's office. Uh, and, uh, you know, often a lot of people's uh, policy issues uh, may or may not make it to the end. So we're going to be spending uh, probably the next month, six weeks, maybe two months trying to sort out, you know, lots and lots and lots of emails from people uh, to find out what was the final result regarding different policy issues that they, they support or oppose. Right. Yeah. And of course, there is an election coming up. So you'll be hitting the campaign trail, I'm sure, too. Well, primary day is September 6th. I'm sure everyone got their mail-in ballot application already. Um, and there is early voting for the primary as well, uh, as well, and also voting on primary day. So there's almost no excuse at this point for everybody not to take a ballot and vote. It is Republican uh, primary, Democratic primary. If you're not a party affiliated and you're an unenrolled voter, uh, you can choose a ballot for one, but not the other. Um, and if you're uh, like in my good friend, Smitty Penotelli out in the Berkshires, he has a Green Party candidate. There's a Green Party primary. So, um, you know, please definitely do vote. I know it's a 
seemingly quiet election, but you do still have an attorney general's race, a secretary of state's race, state auditor's race. In particular, um, you know, on, that, on a constitutional level, I know people like to vote on, on, you know, big picture, but, you know, I could use a vote too, please. <laughs> I don't have a primary candidate, but I would appreciate a vote as well. Very good. Well, it's going to be 100 degrees tomorrow, Tacky, so stay inside and stay cool. Yeah, everyone, uh, be well, be safe, and, uh, you know, the electrical prices will be high, so make sure, you know, turn off your lights, unplug devices you don't need to leave plugged in, try to do your laundry uh, in the evening where power tends to be a little bit cheaper, and do things like draw your shades to try to keep cool air in. It's like the opposite of winter, right? Keep the draft out. It's You can pull shades to uh, try to keep the cool air in, and remember to drink water, and don't you don't sit in the car too long, neither your kids nor your pets. Yep. All good stuff. And uh, at this point, we're going to be doing a rain dance pretty soon, too, because of the drought. Agreed. My my grass is brown as well. Um, <laughs> uh, hopefully the weather will shift and we get uh, rain that doesn't cause a flood. How's that sound? You know, good, exactly. good, good steady amount. Yeah, we're down about 10 inches and we don't want that all at once. That's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I live on Meadowbrook Road. I think that's pretty common knowledge. Keyword book. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's Appreciate what happened it, to my place. Yeah. <laughs> you all take care. All right. We'll catch up again soon.